Welcome to Medical Minefield, where we talk about the ethical dilemmas at the heart of the health stories that matter the most. I'm Barney Kalman, the health editor at The Mail on Sunday, and with me is The Mail on Sunday's deputy health editor, Eve Simmons. Hello. This week we're talking about vaccine passports. Should we have them? Shouldn't we? As ever, we'd like to know what you think. So let us know on Twitter using the hashtag Medical Minefield. Last week, I wrote in the Mail on Sunday about the subject of vaccine passports. I'd encountered a group of anti-vaxxers in my gym, all of whom told me they didn't need to have a vaccine because COVID was no risk to them whatsoever. They were actually surprised I'd been double jabbed. Uh, One of them said he thought that I might have grown two heads, um, which I found a bit bizarre. But You know, the thing that annoyed me was that my mum, who's 75, used to love going to the gym and she won't go back because she gets a sense, and clearly correctly, that, you know, it's probably a high-risk area. You know, the Delta variant's very catchy and, you know, although she's been double-jabbed, there's a chance that she could pick it up. She said... You know, I just don't want to get it. There does seem to be this strange cross-section between people who really, really love going to the gym and are really into their sort of making their body a temple, as it were, and Mm. deciding not to get the vaccine. Maybe there's some sort of, like, natural health, natural immunity thing. They think that if they're working out three million times a week. Uh, yeah. I just think it's that idea that if you're... I mean, it's something we've been told from the beginning that only ill people get ill with COVID. Um, and if you're fit and healthy, then you don't. I mean, as we saw from our other story last week about all of the uh, people with very strong anti-vax views who were then sadly dying of COVID, mm. many of them thought that they, because they were fit and healthy, they weren't at risk too, um, you know, and paid the ultimate price for that. Obviously, that's rare, you know, it's on the whole, most people are going to be fine if you are fit and healthy and, and younger. Mm. Um, but it, it's no guarantee. But that message is really well and truly out there. It's not convincing people. And so my point is that for the time being, while infection rates for COVID are so high, you know, freedom is a word that seems to be used by anti-vaxxers a lot. They want freedom not to be vaccinated. But what about the freedom of people like, you know, my mum? for instance, to be able to go to the theatre, to be able to go to the cinema, to be able to go to the gym and just do the normal things that she did before the pandemic. She's been shielding and now she still can't do any of those things. And I think that's not freedom either. But you could say, if we're basing it on individual choices, your mum presumably has chosen to have the vaccine. Yep. So therefore, she would be protected and she's protected herself by having both her jabs. Yep. Absolutely. You know, we asked readers to write in and let us know what they thought. Mm. Uh, we had thousands of responses. Many of the emails that we got were just one line. I'd say eight out of ten emails were in support of vaccine passports. Many of them were one line saying, I support vaccine passports. So they had nothing else to say on the matter. Of course, there were people out there who were against it, too. They were in the minority. I wouldn't say they should be ignored, but I think many of the things they were saying were wrong. The kinds of misconceptions that that seem to go around about the vaccine are you have just as much chance of catching COVID from vaccinated people as unvaccinated. Sort of true, but kind of not true as well. You know, they say having double jabs doesn't stop you carrying it. Again, there's truth to that, but it's not quite right. Mm. Vaccines don't stop transmission. 
And again, I understand why people think that, but it's not totally true. And of course, vulnerable people are vaccinated now, so it doesn't matter if I'm not. It doesn't matter what we say. We're not the health experts. But why don't we put this to someone who really does know their stuff, Eve? Absolutely. And we have one of the UK's top experts in this field on the line right now, Dr Peter English, who is an expert in infectious diseases. Dr English, thank you for finding some time to talk to us today. We're speaking about vaccine passports um, and the pros and cons. And one thing that keeps coming up that people are saying against them is that vaccines don't stop transmission anyway. So there's no point. What do you think about that? To what extent is that statement true? It's completely untrue. We know that vaccines don't 100% stop transmission, but they do reduce it dramatically. I don't know that we can put a precise figure on exactly how much, but it reduces your chances of being infected by around about half. So you're half as likely to be infected. And if you're not infected, you can't infect anybody else. And if you are infected, the vaccination almost certainly reduces your chances of being infectious quite considerably as well. You may be just as infectious for a short time, but you're likely to be infectious for a much shorter period of time than if you hadn't been vaccinated. So vaccination is likely to be, I would guesstimate, somewhere in the region of 70 to 90 percent effective in preventing infection and onward transmission. But there have been studies recently that have shown that the amount of infectious virus that you have in your nose and your throat is the same if you're vaccinated compared to if you are unvaccinated. Yes, but that's only if you're infected and that you're half as likely to be infected. And it's only the same at the time when you're most infectious, but you're probably infectious for a much shorter time. So, yes, vaccination isn't 100% effective at preventing all the transmission. But as I just said, it's it's going to be at least 50% the chances of infecting somebody and probably considerably more than 50%. Dr English, there are people out there who just feel for whatever reason they don't want to have the vaccine. And they would say, well, the vulnerable people who are more likely to get very sick with COVID have now all had their jab. So why should I have to have mine? What, What would you say to that? Well, we also know that vulnerable people, the vaccine is less likely to work. And the vaccine is never 100%. People can still get hospitalised and die, even if they've been twice vaccinated. If you're a cancer patient, for example, or you've got an immune system problem, the vaccine might not work for you. So are those people saying that these people should have to shelter forever, just because I can't be bothered Mm -hmm. to have a vaccine? So So it should be a kind of a community effort that everybody should still be looking out for each other? Yes, it's exactly like mask wearing. You wear a mask to protect others in case you're infectious. Ordinary cloth masks and surgical masks are not very good at protecting the wearer, but they're pretty good at preventing the wearer from infecting other people. Dr English, it's not exactly like mask wearing, is it? That There is a huge benefit to the person who's vaccinated, even if they're younger, otherwise fit. You know, we know that it's going to stop that, you know, roulette situation that they could get very ill with COVID themselves. You're absolutely right. Getting vaccinated halves your chances of being infected and having minor illness, and it reduces to about 5% of what it would have been. Uh, Your chances of having serious illness requiring hospitalisation, ITU or death. So it's dramatically different for the person who's been vaccinated. And we know that the ITUs across the country are full of younger people 
most of whom haven't been vaccinated at the moment. I think it's frustrating for people to feel that even if you can be vaccinated, you can still catch it. But, you know, I mean, I guess you would say that people should still get vaccinated despite all these, you know, reservations. The fact, you, yes, OK, it's not perfect. You should still get vaccinated. Absolutely. And yes, of course, it's frustrating. The whole pandemic's frustrating. We all wish this virus had never come into existence, but it has. So it's, we all have a duty to do what we can to protect other people as well as ourselves. Dr English, kind of by this logic, would you say that a vaccine passport scheme that may encourage people to go and get the jab would be overall a good idea? I reluctantly think they probably will be, although it's a bit uh, more complicated. The way that people behave if they're told they have to do something isn't always the most constructive way forward. I tend to think that for things which are particularly high risk and which you do not have to do, vaccine passports make sense, as long as, of course, they they can be done rigorously so people can't cheat them and so on. So the the suggestion was that people go into nightclubs and perhaps restaurants and gyms and bars and those kinds of high-risk areas. Yes, high-risk areas where particularly if you're going to be singing or shouting, you're close to other people and where the ventilation is poor. Those are very high risk for transmission. And it makes sense in order to keep the case numbers down and in order to keep the chances of somebody vulnerable at catching it off you, that you should do what you can to reduce your risk of catching it uh, or spreading it in those places. And in those sorts of situations, vaccine passports make sense. I'm not in favour of them for doing ordinary things that everybody has to do, like going to the shops and going in shops, because that's that's too much of an imposition. Although I do think that mask wearing should remain mandatory in those places. It all sounds like very sensible suggestions. Dr English, thank you so much for joining us today. I'd say I absolutely agree. You know, I don't think vaccine passports should be in place for going to school or going to the supermarket. But it just seems to make sense as a time-limited policy to have them for things that we all want to keep doing like go to the gym or go to nightclubs or you know whatever it is and of course as I've said before some of these places are already imposing a vaccine passport or at least requiring people to show a negative test and it seems you know even private events that people are having people are asking people to you know have a have a lateral flow test or a PCR test beforehand so There is a sense that we are becoming accustomed to this idea that we want to try and make sure that our gatherings are COVID secure. I absolutely agree, but I think theoretically it's a great idea and I would be on board with it. But I do worry about the message to people who are perhaps on neither side of the fence and waiting to to make their mind up about whether to have the jab or not. And they see that in a way you're being kind of cajoled and and really forced forced to get one. And that could kind of completely turn them in the other direction. I mean, it would be fairly unprecedented for us to have such a system for domestic use. Of course, vaccines to travel are a requirement. But of course, travel vaccines are very widely accepted. So, you know, I mean, it swings and roundabouts. I think that it is the biggest reservation, as Dr English said, it would be a reluctant measure should it be absolutely necessary if infection rates continue to rise as they seem to be at the moment. You know, no one wants hashtag October lockdown, which is what I've seen. Please, God, no. (laughs) 
you know, would people support it more if it was either lockdown or vaccine passports? I, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's important to hear from a scientist who has raised cautions about the idea of mandatory COVID passports. On the line now, we have Professor Jackie Castle, a public health expert at Brighton and Sussex Medical School. Professor Castle, thanks very much for finding some time to talk to us. Pleasure. I know it's been a concern of yours, uh, you know, not that the vaccines, uh, if everyone had them, wouldn't be of a great benefit, but that essentially using coercive techniques would have a negative impact. Can you explain why? Yeah, I mean, I think it is certainly the case that if we said there will be vaccine passbooks for X and Y and Z, a lot of people would initially get round to vaccines that they wouldn't otherwise have got round to you know so i you know i don't dispute that we saw that in france um however i I do think this that we need to think what is it we're really trying to do here now consider the examples of measles measles are really dangerous disease that can kill people of any age we don't ask for vaccine passports and the reason is we we know that people trust the system enough that they take their measles vaccines they give their tiny children mmr vaccine so that kind of wider system as you say is is very much the context so i think if we are thinking about really going against that precedent of vaccination by consent we need to think what are the things that we need to protect what are the downsides of vaccination passports who will they harm now um clearly not everybody is digitally literate um, so if we're using sort of passports on phones, that, that is an issue. It's an issue for people who might be disabled. They might have visual issues. They might need someone else to help them use a, a phone. So there's privacy issues there. So I think, you know, the, the practicalities have got to work while not particularly putting undue pressure on people who, you know, for whom life is generally much more difficult. I mean, I think in terms of practicalities, there would be ways around that. For instance, we had a lot of letters when the travel passports came in. Um, and in fact, you can get paper versions and it's, it's quite straightforward to do so. So if you levelled all of that, do you still think that there would be a problem? I mean, going abroad is quite a big thing in one's life. If we start to talk about vaccine passports for things that might be part of people's daily lives, then you need to really think, well, you know, are you making things difficult? I think we can do quite a lot more to be persuading people about the positive gains for them. So, for example, at the moment, around a third of ITU beds have COVID patients and they are young patients and they are, you know, of course, age 30, you're pretty unlikely to end up in hospital, but you may well be that person. I think we need to communicate those real benefits to people because then they really want to persuade other people. I hear what you're saying, but, you Mm. know, I I mean, we were talking about this on the podcast last week, whether Mm -hmm. or not scare stories in the media, you know, showing that we've got young people in hospital beds, that it's mostly, you know, there's this high proportion of unvaccinated people. And, you know, really, these these things don't do anything to persuade people who are anti-vax, I suppose, to use the the un-PC term. So, I mean, if nothing will persuade the anti-vaxxers, you've got floating voters who perhaps just need a a kick up the arse. You know, surely vaccine passports to, you know, go to big events that everyone wants to go to, like festivals. And uh, bearing in mind, these things are already in place. You know, many clubs, festivals, etc. have put these things in place of their own volition. Um, Surely it's a it's a good thing. 
I think we need to really consider the long game. So we've got, um, when Andrew Wakefield claimed wrongly that the MMR was unsafe, there was quite an interesting politics around that campaign. So, so all, um, newspapers such as yours, which are quite small state in their orientation, really pushed the unsafety of MMR and, and made people quite frightened. But it was it. the Daily Mail that did that, so I just okay, want to so there, so that, so there are that were newspapers <laughs> that were small state were quite, focused on the lack of safety. And that was a, what was interesting is the way that played into people's political identities. And so on the one hand, you have, as you correctly say, there were pe people around 3% of the UK population-ish is anti-vax and won't have any vaccinations. And then you've got a smaller proportion of um, sort of floating voters who could easily become anti-vax. And then you've got quite a lot of people who haven't got round to it yet. Now, I would say using scare stories, um, well, you know, no, in, that's not what I'm suggesting. I think informing people about how increasingly those people are getting sick or the people who haven't had vaccinated. I think that that's, that's a reasonable and honest and important thing to do. I think if you then turn vaccination into something, that, you know, the phrase you use is kick people up the arse. Well, that's just not how we do public health. So I think what we need to do is to protect vaccination long term because these young people are going to be the ones who will be asking to have their children vaccinated in a few years. And there's always something to be anxious about around vaccines. And we need to address that rather than to coerce against it. That, that, that's my view. That said, I think we need to make, to make it really easy for people. So, for example, it, it's quite hard to go to a vaccine uh, centre with your children. It might be quite a long way away. We need to really think about access, actually, and make it easy for people to get it at the local pharmacist or whatever. I know that um, public health experts, and in fact, uh, pretty uniformly, uh, med medics uh, were against the idea and have always been against the idea of, ma of, of a kind of vaccine passport in schools. It's something they tried to do in a America, I know, and in fact, they have a terrible problem, um, maybe as a result of that more draconian approach. Um, you know, some schools banned kids who weren't vaccinated, yeah. and it created huge divisions, didn't it? Yes, I mean, I think draconian approaches have huge unintended consequences, and they can be very long-standing. So if you turn people against vaccination systems, that is a long-term attitude they're going to carry with them. So I think we've got to use all the other mechanisms to win this battle. I think it's it, you know, young people are reasonable people. You know, people, people do want to protect themselves. They, they do want to protect their, their families. But, you know, a lot of young people don't have cars. I think we have perhaps underestimated the practical barriers. And I think we need to really think how can we minimise those. But for people who can't afford the travel, who have children with them, who have caring responsibilities, rather than just, OK, you can't get on with your normal life. I mean, the the counter to what I just said would be, yeah. uh, you know, the gyms, bars, nightclubs, festivals, they are not schools. You know, you're not denying people something vital. It's really, you know, by, I mean, these are high transmission venues for COVID and you're not really, all you're doing is, is trying to make sure that there's less transmission in these, in these areas for the time being. There's no suggestion that it will be forever either. So, uh, you know, I'm well, not we, sure well, if it's comparable. We do know that 
epidemic emergency measures tends to come in and they tend to last. That is the, that is the history around the world. A lot of what we're trying to do is to limit people's social distancing. We're still not very good at reducing transmission within a household. So I do think there, there is a kind of, I mean, my other worry is it gives a slightly misleading impression of where transmission does go on. And we know that it's in dense housing. It's where people have to travel close to. It's where people have to be together. So I think, you know, that there is something about being genuinely educational about what is going on. And I think that, you know, that's where we want to win the argument and not to alienate people, you know, potentially against what might be a necessary booster campaign in two years' time. Where, where do you stand on mask wearing, Jackie? I think mask wearing is, um, I mean, clearly there is a proven place for masks in where somebody has an infection and in a, in a close setting, you know, that, that particularly in healthcare settings, um, there's an argument in, in um, densely, uh, dense public transport. I do think it's really important to give people confidence to know that outdoors is safe. It's really difficult to transmit outdoors unless you're in very low proximity. And what that does mean is that people who are, you know, people should be able to feel, feel confident outdoors in a way that, um, you know, it's really good for them in terms of health and protection yeah. against COVID. Professor Jackie Castle, thanks very much for finding time to talk to us. It'll be interesting to see what the government decide to do, really, on, on this matter. Hi. Sorry to interrupt your listening, but there's another great podcast from the Mail on Sunday you might want to try. Liz Jones's Diary, the podcast, offering a weekly look into the life of Britain's most unfiltered columnist. That's me. Find us at mailplus.co.uk. The introduction of something like vaccine passports is never going to be a perfect fix. No, but there are ways round things. We've seen this many times over. I mean, they are going to exclude people. You know, there are people that are going to be very upset by the idea of it. I've said that I think it would be a good idea. I Personally, I'm not worried. And interestingly, uh, some of the emails we got, I got called a bedwetter and a <laughs> soy boy and, a, you know, all kinds of uh, right. a disgrace, etc. Um, you know, the idea that I was do- saying this for me, of course, mm. I'm not bothered you know, I, I will go out anywhere. I've been double vaccinated. If I catch COVID now, it's down to a kind of, I suppose, shit happens. Mm. And it's that like, you know it's going to be a, a kind of bad cold. You'll probably be in bed for a few days. I mean, maybe yeah, you will maybe, be, maybe you won't be. Maybe you won't. I, I, you know, I'm prepared to, you know, go out there and just live, live my life. Yeah. But I would like that same luxury to be afforded to people who've been shielding for 18 months and have had their lives turned upside down in such a way, uh, you know, and, and lived in fear. I think, you know, we've, we've all got older relatives who've been really worried by this because they're the ones that are going to, you know, croak if they get COVID. Completely. And I think that nervousness, there's still that overhang of nervousness, obviously. And, you know, they're being told they can get back to normal. And I, I say that kind of with air quotes. But now that there's this new wave of infections, how are you supposed to get back to normal if you're exactly. still so anxious about doing the things you used to do before COVID? 
Well, I hope some of the things that we've said right at the top of this podcast will dispel the myths. There are going to be people out there, probably the ones that that called me all kinds of names um, last weekend, who will not be convinced, who will not listen. Um, I I do hope there are people out there that will consider, uh, you know, the fact that there's no reason not to be vaccinated Mm. for 99.9% of people. And that's all we've got time for. You'll find the latest health news in this weekend's The Mail on Sunday and visit mailplus.co.uk forward slash subscribe to access all our podcasts, videos, opinion pieces and more. You can also follow us on Twitter by searching at mailplus. We'll be back with another topic on Medical Minefield next week. See you then. Goodbye.